This week in the Magic Kitchen, we're bringing you something a little more personal and a little bit deeper, where we discuss our personal histories and the way that our lineages affect our connections to the past as witches. I'm Leander Witchwood. And I'm Elise Wells. And welcome to the Magic Kitchen podcast, where we talk about magic, kitchen witchcraft, herbs, and everything in between. Again, we talk about the podcasts before we start recording them. And we're talking about our different lineages and finding out, you know, between the two of us, deeper understanding of where we've come from, how we've learned the craft, and our our history and our lineage within the craft. So we thought we'd bring that to you. And hopefully it'll inspire you to do some research on where you know what you know who did it come from you know is it is it based in cochranism is it based in gardnerian alexandrian traditions is it you know is this something that you learned from your mother or your grandmother and maybe they were anchored in cochranism or gardnerianism and we're going to define a little bit of of that for those who don't understand who these people are how they influenced Wicca and modern traditional witchcraft and what it means to have these different, almost like spider webs that come out and really funnel into everything we know about Wicca and witchcraft today. I started the craft in my early 20s and I still feel like I was practicing long before that. I feel like my mom was a witch and she just didn't say it. Because <laughs> some of the things she did, you know, a lot of it was folk magic. And I think that's where my roots really are right now is more folk magic, more um, traditional witchcraft, trying to go back to its its roots in the earth and in the land. Now, I'm going to say something that a lot of people are going to you know, maybe get their hackles up about. But Wicca, as we know it today, doesn't always have its roots in folk magic. It doesn't always have its roots in the traditions that our ancestors would have practiced. Its roots are in Gardnerianism, um, Golden Dawn, and Alexandrian um, styles of witchcraft, which are very patriarchal. And they were created by these men who wanted to create their own religions. And while some of the history shows that um, what they, how they presented themselves was not always true. Like um, Gerald Gardner said at one point that he was trained by a hereditary witch and a coven, and that's where he got his knowledge. But when it really came down to it, he had no such lineage. And and that's fine. You know, we we all get our stuff from somewhere, you know, but it's nice to be able to track that back so we can have some validity in our path. Like, yes, I learned from my teacher who learned from this teacher who was trained by by this 
person that came from the Golden Dawn or came from um, Gerald Gardner's tradition or, you know, we can track that back kind of like our own lineage in um, our genetics. You know, where did your ancestors come from? Oh, they came from Spain. They came from Ireland. They came from here. They came from there. So we can better connect with who we are as a person in the same sense when we know where our lineages come from magically, then we can better connect with the magic we're using today. We can better understand why we do the things we do. So I am a part of a coven that is working in the fairy tradition. And my coven goes back at least four generations So my teacher learned from Lord Orion Foxwood, and he at the time was based in Baltimore, and now I believe he's out in California. Um, And he had learned before that uh, from Lady Alexandria Foxmore. And before Lady Alexandria Foxmore, she had learned from Lady Circe in the 70s. So that lineage started off a little bit Dianic, which is a witchcraft that is based on Feminist principles, goddess energy, a huge part of the uh, feminist spiritual movement or the women's spiritual movement, um, which is a historical movement. It's not just for witches. So it's a really cool crossover with American history as well. Um, And she was friends with Z Budapest, who was a big part of inventing, for lack of a better word, the Dianic tradition in America, where Aphrodite is your main, Diana is your main goddess. Um, and actually, it's funny as I'm saying that, that I have, I guess I've kind of come full circle or full spiral with that because my path now that I'm in Greece has been with Aphrodite. So what is that? 60 years later, I'm <laughs> kind of calling back on like this fourth, fifth generational witchcraft. Um, nice. But it's also nice because like Leandra said, like the the pull – Lately, and this is the same for me, and especially with quarantine and being home and at the time in the North American landscape, I've really started to be pulled to folk magic. And Orion Foxwood is a folk folk magician turned fairy traditionalist. So those those elements really are all kind of holistically wrapped together. And my my practice, as I was taught it, is very, very personalized. My path is not ceremonial so to speak we follow a lot of what you would find at most wicca based wicca lineage based um rituals with calling the quarters and Mm -hmm. invoking the god and the goddess and as the goddess to the cup so the you know that kind of uh ritual structure but it's not as ceremonial it's much more personal and much more it's fey based so we're always talking to the fey and speaking with the elementals so that's that's where my lineage comes down. So I've only been in a coven three years uh, with my training, with my dedication, but one year as an initiate. Um, so, and I'm working in my second degree now. So, from afar, the beauties of yeah. the technology. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so, my lineage, it is much more scattered. So when I first started <laughs> exploring the craft and really getting serious about it, and when I joined a coven for the first time, it was a fey tradition, but it had no lineage. Basically, the 
women who ran the coven. They read a few books. They thought it was cool to start a coven, so they did. (laughs) They had no official training. But of course, being a newbie at that time, I didn't realize that until I was about a year into the coven. And it started to fall apart. And the, the reality of it started to really hit me of like, oh, these are just women who thought it'd be cool to be priestesses. So they decided, <laughs> yeah, they're going to be priestesses. And that's one of the downfalls when you don't know the lineage. You don't know the history. You can't track it back. That's one of the downfalls you face because you're not sure. You can't be sure that the people who are running the coven really know their stuff. And that's just kind of like a little side tip right there. Just like see if you can – if you're going to join a coven, see if they can, you can track the lineage back. So when I left there, I met who was – who became my mentor. When I met her, one of the best pieces of advice that she ever gave me was to explore. And she said, I will not teach you until you go out and you learn what's out there. And I did. So I spent a few months working with the Reclaiming Folks, which is Starhawk's group. Uh, I didn't work directly with Starhawk, but some of her initiates, which is a Dianic group. So they're very circular um, and they're very um, female based. Then from there, I actually ended up working with, with Orion Foxwood for a little bit. I met him at a retreat and this was during his transition. He was moving from Southern Conjure and more focusing on the fairy tradition. So there was like that moment blip in time in his magical career where I was able to learn some Southern Conjure from him from, for a very brief amount of time because I was in Pennsylvania. He was down in Baltimore. It was just such a long drive. <laughs> it was ridiculous. I could, it wasn't sustainable. So, um, then from there, I learned a little bit from, you know, my own exploration and just getting into books and practicing what I learned. Um, and then when I came back to my mentor and she was trained by um, within a Gardnerian style tradition. So her teacher learned from another teacher and I'm not at liberty to say who they are, but um her lineage goes back to the the 60s and 70s, just like um, your lineage does. And it's one of those things where when you start le- learning the back history, you're like, oh, wow. So that's where that came from. Oh, now I understand why we do that. And so when yeah. I trained under Tavra, I really learned the hermetic and the gardenerian, the golden dawn style Ritual where it's very, very ceremonial. You know, you call the quarters, you dress, you put on the makeup, you put on the jewelry, you light the candles, you call the quarters, the guardians, you know, challenge at the gate, all this stuff. And it wasn't when we finally kind of just dissolved that, I realized that it was so much like it was exhausting. And yeah. although I loved the theatrical aspect of it and the dress and that you, you dressed for it. You, you know, memorized your lines and you memorized your parts and that sort of thing. When I really got down to it, I was like, this is not for me. So what I ended up doing was I started to really go within and start researching my, my personal lineage and how that affected my craft. So where I find myself now is I have my own tradition. It's very eclectic. So those who come into my coven, they keep their own deities, they keep their own practices, but we mesh it in. So I've taken everything that I've learned from everything that I've been taught and I've made it into a circular, almost Dianic style 
uh, coven where we have an inner circle, we have elders, then we have an outer circle, and then we have a study group. And all of this functions together so that we get to know everybody and we don't necessarily do the high magic, the hermetic style magic. It's more um, down to earth. It is still very structured, but it leaves a lot of room for each individual who wants to do their own ritual or um, their own spell work. It leaves them room to put in their own essence to it and their own training and their own understanding and that's that's where my history and my lineage comes from. It kind of comes from everywhere, and it it creates this like hub of flexibility, and that's that's where what I was looking for in my path. I what I didn't want yeah. something super super structured because that turns me off. It just it stifles my mm-hmm. inspiration. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I learned that the hard way too. I yeah, I was solitary for five years, and I started practicing my senior year of high school. So. I was very conscious of the fact that there are imposters in the craft and there's oh, a lot yeah. of people that can take advantage of younger oh, yeah. women. So I just mm. felt intimidated to, I, I knew myself as like at my age at that time, I just, as a minor, I did not want to get involved with people yet. So I read a lot. I looked at the, um, my first book ever was Solitary Witch by Silver Ravenwolf. Cause I'm like, <laughs> well, I'm a solitary witch. So I'll just start yeah, with that one. <laughs> and, and I loved it. It really was such a great jumping off point because that thing is a tome. It is heavy. There is mm-hmm. lots and lots of information from yep. like hundred traditions. So she overwhelms you. And then once you get yes. to come back to it and you're like, all right, let yep. me just start here. Yes. You, you find yes. other things. And I was really into Celtic witchcraft. And mm-hmm. then I worked at the Renaissance fair in Pennsylvania and as an actor, and I met so many incredible pagans and I was like, you know what there, I can do this. I can meet pagans. Yes. And then I just, I had a friend who introduced me to my teacher now, and it's just, it happened also organically. So, you know, mm-hmm. the timing of it is just, just go with the flow and take the opportunities Absolutely. as they come to you. Yeah. Um, and, and if you and feel you- like you like being solitary, that's okay. Yeah. Your lineage could be, you love this one author. So you want to know where did they get their training? Mm-hmm. What is this ritual that they're doing? Where did yeah. they get that from? Why does this symbol mean protection? So yeah. you can start to do your own research into what you do, even if that's not to a teacher. It's a book mm-hmm. author or a, a symbol yeah. you use or a spell you use or a prayer or yep. poem. Yeah, you don't have to be initiated into a coven to track the lineage of what you practice. Um, yeah. And for me right now, like I, so I was trained in this, you know, hermetic style, very ceremonial style magic. But now as I practice more of what what is more um, not acceptable, that's the wrong word, but more familiar to my heart, what I seem to flow better with is more of a shamanic style witchcraft, which shamanism um, is very much part of the Wiccan movement and the, the modern traditional witchcraft movement. And that was influenced by Cochrane. And so you had, you know, back in the day <laughs> when Gerald Gardner and uh, was, you know, getting his, his, you know, religion established and, you know, he had Dorian Valiente and at, at his side and all this stuff. Then you had, you had Cochran coming in and he was like, I don't like this. 
I want a more shamanic style of what I what this practice is, and that's how he influenced it. So the drumming and the the journey work, and um, if you look at, at Selena Fox, follow her and look at how she practices Wicca. It's very much what she does is influenced by Cochranism, and that's I think where I find myself now too. It's you know more organic. It's more um, based in nature rather than in ceremony, that sort of thing. Yeah, I find that the more I practice, especially the more I practice alone, and I think it is good to start out alone, even if it's just mm. for two weeks, you just want to, you know, you really feel the pull for a coven, but for at least two weeks, you know, do one Esbit alone. Yeah. Do a, yeah. Do a full moon alone. Um, and I, I now am kind of alone again because I'm so far away <laughs> from my coven and we're not doing right. online meetings currently, although I think we're starting that soon. So that'll be kind of nice to see everybody. But um, being able to do magic alone is extremely important because you're spending most of your life alone. You can't wait for the coven to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to manifest good and change in your life. So, right. Um, so I feel like the more I'm alone with my practice and my spirituality, the more folksy, I guess, my magic mm. is becoming and, and more shamanic. Like one crazy random example today I had some bread that went stale and I wanted to take it out to give it to the birds or the fish or something. So I just went on a walk and I found myself at the edge of the sea and I started breaking off pieces and saying, I reject, you know, X, Y, and Z about my life. So with each piece, I threw away something that I needed to reject within myself, within my life, within the world right now you know, let go of things, let go of this pain that I feel, let go of this thing that's out of my control. And so I ended up kind of doing some magic, meditating there at the sea. And then on my walk back, I passed a couple of trees. I left some hair on each tree as I walked, like just yep. thanking the this, this space for my, you know, for this experience. And it was, it was a wonderful, magical experience, but it wasn't ceremonial. I didn't call any quarters. I didn't light any candles. There was no incense nope. to be had. But that magic is more what calls to me now than than the, the bigger thing. So I think sometimes it's like the training wheels on the bike for some people, like they need yeah. those things to get in the zone, but then it just becomes more familiar and you find yourself organically doing magic yeah. like that. And, and that's a, that's an excellent point because when I, I know for me, when I first started this path, I needed structure. I needed somebody to tell me this is this, that is that do this next, do that, that after that. And this is what you need. You need this tool. You need that tool. You need this focus. You need to call upon this. You need to call upon that. I needed that. And I think that helps us when we first start out, especially coming from the idea of Christianity being an influence, a heavy influence in our society, where structure and linear uh, thinking and flows tend to rule our lives. You know, you get up for work, you get ready for work, you go to work, you come home, make dinner, you know, there, there's always mm-hmm. a pattern to what we do. So when you're first learning, if you can learn a pattern that helps you settle in and get some discipline, because being solitary, that's one of the biggest things that I know a lot of people struggle with is finding the time and motivation. So if you have someone teaching you a structure it helps develop that discipline like, okay, so I learned how to meditate this way. I have to light this candle, light this incense. I have to say this mantra. You know, you have this whole list of things that you do before you actually meditate. 
when you get into that flow, then you start realizing, oh, I didn't need to do that. Okay, I can cross mm-hmm. that off my list to meditate. And then your list gets shorter. And then you do it a little while longer. You're like, oh, wait, I didn't need to do this. So you cross X, Y, Z off of your list. And all of a sudden you notice that you can drop into a meditation or a spell or a ritual without needing all these extra things because you've already trained your mind that this is what we're doing now. And that's one of the things that helps with ceremonial magic is when you put on that ceremonial robe, when you put on that ceremonial necklace, when you light that ceremonial candle, it's dropping you into that mindset of this is what we're doing now. You know, we're not checking our phone. We're not surfing TikTok. We're not answering the phone. We're not turning on the TV. We are focused on this ritual right now. So when you get enough training under your belt and you're able to do that quickly and effortlessly, you can start taking off the preparations so it becomes more organic and less ceremonial. Mm-hmm. And your tradition might overlap with other traditions in ways mm-hmm. you'd be surprised. One thing that I it, at first it just made sense and I didn't question it. And that as I was, you know, in my coven longer, I was like, huh. We use chakras. We always <laughs> talk about the chakras. And they're not yeah, they're not. They're not. Gardner didn't use chakras. That's nope. it's just something that came into this more holistic, I guess, modern traditional witchcraft that we do now. <clears throat> but we pair our chakra knowledge with our shielding techniques. Or we use sigils from Norse mythology in a Celtic mythology right. while, you know, calling on um you know, Aphrodite. (laughs) So there's a lot of things we can do that kind of bleed into each other. And when you look back at your lineage, you might realize, oh, you know what's interesting? Because actually, you know, Orion Foxwood, he was really into folk magic. So he would have loved my bread at the water, but he also really loves the Fae. So he'd love me leaving my hairs along the the trail coming back. So there's so many things that you're doing to honor your ancestors and your lineage is your ancestors, even if it's just you follow Selena Fox religiously on Instagram and you show up to all of her online events and you've taken her courses and she might not recognize you in a crowd, but she is your teacher. Mm -hmm. That is your lineage. That's your lineage. Yeah. That's your ancestors as well. Yeah. So owning that and and looking for those connections to what you do or the other way around, looking for what you can do that connects to what you want to do. Absolutely. So for this episode's tips and tricks or magical tips, I have allspice for you. And allspice is a great herb or um, seed, really, that you can use in different spells, especially related to luck, money, healing, and really solidifying that intent around those subjects. You can keep it in your spice cabinet. You can grind it up and put it in recipes or carry in a sachet in your pocket. So a lot of times when we're doing our research, we get in our heads about how old something is and that it has to be old to work. And the fact of the matter is the coven structure that we're used to today doesn't go back beyond Gardner. Unless you're talking about Hermeticism, Golden Dawn, OTA, OTO, Mm -hmm. uh, even Christian scientists, you know, they all fall under that same 
theologian society, yeah. like these groups are very, very different from what we consider witchcraft yeah. today. And Even they do not call themselves covens. Right. So these things are maybe part of your lineage. Maybe they're part of your teachings. Maybe you guys, you know, read some Crowley at Halloween every year at Samhain. But <laughs> it's it's not necessary for what you do today to have an ancient past for it to work. That's something that really got me hung up. Like I was so nervous to do ancient witchcraft or call on ancient gods and deities because I was like, well, what if, what if I do it wrong because I don't know what they really did back then? At the end of the day, that's not possible. And wouldn't, wouldn't deity want you to connect in the way you know how rather than not at all because you think it might be wrong? So thinking of that in your research, don't put too much pressure to validate every single thing you do or want to try or else just don't try it at all. Like don't don't put yourself in that black and white decision making pattern. Yeah. Because sometimes you can't you can't go farther than the 60s or 70s. And that's a heck of a long time. Yeah. Really. Like for our yeah. little human lifespans, that's not so bad. It's <laughs> <That's> pretty damn <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. What and and touching on that dichotomous thinking, I think there's a lot of this need to really define are we Wicca or are we witches? And Yeah. I know for me, like, I don't identify with Wicca anymore. I identify as a witch. And for me, the way I differentiate that, if it's necessary for you out there listening to differentiate, to to create that black and white line of what's Wicca versus witchcraft, for me, uh, Wicca is the, the ceremonial. It's the hermetic magic. It's the calling the quarters. Mm-hmm. It's more of what how you practice in a circle with, you know, you have your God and goddess candle, you have your your um, great right, or you have your cakes and ale, you have your absolute structure where you have the tools, you wear the robes, you light the candles, you light the incense, you say the incantations, all that stuff. And where I view being a witch or just practicing straight up witchcraft, it's less ceremonial and more organic. So it's like what you did, Elise, going to the water's edge, which is a tween space and it's very significant to a lot of traditions. That is a place of the in-between where you connect with the veil and you throwing, you know, the um, releasing your your um, needs or the, the, the things that hinder you into the water with the bread. That is, to me, that's just straight up witchcraft, the traditional witchcraft that maybe our ancestors would have practiced. Because you think about it. Yeah. It, back in, you know, I don't know, 2000 years ago, 100 years ago, even they didn't have, you know, purple candles and mm-hmm. <laughs> all these, you know, athames and, you know, crystals and all this stuff that a lot of people think that they have to have in order to practice. They had whatever was on hand. So if they had lard and a wick, that was their candle. If they had some leftover herbs from whatever meal they were making or the meal itself was the spell, the recipe, it wasn't, it was very hearth and home, blood and bone, earth and root. It wasn't something that you have to dress for and memorize incantations for it was very spur of the moment and organic and people were illiterate for like thousands and thousands of years even today something like 40 percent of people on this globe are still illiterate 
So reading and writing and memorizing and knowing Latin, I mean, it's not a prerequisite for your witchcraft. And even if that's something you're really interested in, Mm -hmm. putting the pressure on yourself to not do magic until you're at some level, arbitrary level you've decided for yourself (laughs) or (laughs) that you're not doing it right because (laughs) – Yeah, yeah. It's – it's the simple things sometimes that create the most lasting change. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to remember is that you don't have to have all the things or all the knowledge. You're, I really stress that you already have all the knowledge you need. Nature is going to teach you whatever you need to learn. And that was one of the biggest and most frustrating lessons that I had to learn <laughs> as a new witch <laughs> because I was like, what are you talking about? How the hell do I know everything when I know nothing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't until I like slowed down and really started paying attention. <laughs> yeah. And listening and really paying yeah. attention to the earth and paying attention to the seasons and paying attention to what the trees do when it's time to go within or when it's time to burst forth with energy and really learning my own cycles and how, how I need to show up for myself, not just some persona that I'm putting out into the world. And I think a lot of witches get stuck in that kind of like the idea that, you know, Christians are only Christians on Sunday because they have to show up and be present at church, you know, of the rest of the week. Oh, fuck it all because, you know, I'm not at church. Nobody's looking, right? (laughs) Well, as witches, it's a different path. We, our path is the everyday. Practicing witchcraft is a practice. It's something you do every single day. It is a lifestyle. It's not just something you do on the full moon or when somebody's watching or when you think it's cool to to post a really cool aesthetic of your altar or whatever it is on in, on social media. And we had that discussion in a previous podcast about, you know, being careful about learning your witchcraft from social media because it is all superficial. It's aesthetic. It's not the mm-hmm. the meat and potatoes of it. And that you're going to get from your own personal practice and realizing that you don't have to you don't have to learn from the grand poobah of witchcraft <laughs> to know your stuff. You just kind of have to take a step back and observe and learn your way of being and learn how you best resonate with the energy. And maybe you're in the grocery store and all of a sudden a spell hits you and you need to do it right then and there. So how do you do it without people looking at you because you can't whip out an athame and a candle <laughs> in the middle of a grocery store to do a spell. You need to learn to do it mentally. And so there's all kinds of little nuances you learn when you practice every single day. And yeah. I I mean, I do rituals all the time when I'm out in the woods and there's plenty of people around me. Like I don't walk in the woods and I'm alone. I wish I was sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> but there's other hikers and stuff like that. So I've learned to do my own rituals in the woods without anybody knowing. Nobody needs to know what I'm doing. They think I'm just observing a pretty flower but really i'm you know saying an incantation in my head or i'm leaving it an offering that sort of thing and that's connecting to history because Mm. it is very very new very new even the 70s this wasn't the case that you can practice witchcraft openly and loudly and proudly so when we are feeling you know a little covert with our rituals i think that's (laughs) really honoring the past and when we're feeling really open with our rituals that's honoring the past too, because that's what our yeah. ancestors are, you know, snapping their fingers up in heaven about. Because yeah. that's 
you know, when well, we become that stardust and we're looking down, you know, what's that going to look like? Or when we come back, if we're here yeah. for reincarnation, like, you know, what will our next life be? Who knows? But well, honoring and if you the think past about, is that. Absolutely. And when we look at some of the lineages that are there, like Obad, the order of the Ovates and Druids, um, Bards, Ovates and Druids, the one of the reasons that they were able to kind of skirt around the inquisition times was because they were so open because they practiced openly in the towns and in the, the um, cities and areas where they were prominent in, in they, they were trusted. So even when they, the monotheistic culture started creeping in, they were still looked at as trusted because they openly practiced so if we could bring that back as witches and Wiccans to be more open, we would be more trusted by people because they see that, oh, you're not sacrificing goats and babies and eating them, you know, <laughs> you're just honoring yeah. the planet, you're honoring the elements, you're, you know, you're doing self-development and you're doing positive things rather than um, behind the scenes where we have to question what you're doing, if that makes sense. Another magical tip for you today, if you are looking for a good witchy book to read and you haven't read Drawing Down the Moon by Margot Adler yet, I highly recommend it. It's a book that every witch should read, and it's held up and stood the test of time for its conversation on the way we can interact with the universe and the earth around us. So thank you once again for joining us in this podcast. I hope you were inspired and you got a lot of great information from our personal experiences in our lineage and how we started practicing. And if you did get a lot of good information from this, please remember to review us on Apple and on any other podcast player that you use to listen to our episodes. Mary meet Mary part. And marry me again. Thank you for joining us on the Magic Kitchen podcast. Please visit my website, leandrawitchwood.com, for news, information, and more episodes. I'm Elise Wells, and I can be found at Seeking Numina on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, and seekingnumina.com. That's Seeking, N U M I N A. Join me as I immerse you in sacred meditations ambience, ASMR, and history at spiritual sites around the world.